Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PMM podcast, I'm talking to James Kelleher, Chief Executive Officer at White Oaks International. White Oaks is a 40-person tech agency based in Hook in Hampshire, and it has a fee income of approximately £4 million. Before we start, just a reminder that the Creative Moment Awards deadline, entry deadline, I should say, is on the 25th of September. Um, do take a look at the judging panel, which is on the Creative Moment Awards website, along with all the categories. James, welcome to Pillman Podcast. Hi, Ben. Great to be here. Now, it's always interesting when I, I talk to someone like you who has spent, uh, in the nicest way, quite a long time at the same business. Um, a little bit like I have, although I think you're about double than me. You, you, you've been, it's almost 20 years, isn't it, at White Oaks? Your, White Oaks your, your anniversary must be coming up. Yeah, that's right. It'll be 20 years uh, early next year. So, yeah, a big milestone coming up. I shall, I shall make a note to send you a cake or something along those lines. But you, you joined as an account exec and you're now CEO and majority stakeholder. That, that's, that's a nice journey, isn't it? Does that, does that feel good? Yeah, it is a great journey. I mean, I think, you know, quite often you're so busy doing the doing that it is quite nice to have these little milestones, um, as I'll have next year, to, to just pause for a moment and, and look back on where you've come from, uh, where you are now, and, uh, and some of the, uh, the highlights along the way. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good journey. It's been an enjoyable journey. Um, there's been a few uh, bumps along the way, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, you see that that's life generally and, uh, and certainly business at the moment, uh, particularly during these very unique and uncertain times that we're in um, right now. Yeah, I mean, but just, just uh, you know, clearly we can't cover the full 19 years, but... We were chatting before and, and you said you, you kind of thought quite early on when you joined that actually this could be quite, quite a good move for me in, in terms of uh, becoming a, a leader of the business and that sort of stuff. What, what was it about it? What was it about the people that were there at the time that you thought actually this, this could be a bit of a long term plan? Yeah, so, you know, I was only 24 when I joined White Oaks back in 2001. Um, I'd done a few years prior to that um, at another agency. Um, and that agency was a, a mix of both healthcare and tech. Um, and I tended to work, uh, spend more time working on the uh, on the tech side of things. So kind of knew that was uh, what I enjoyed um, and the industry that um, that I was interested in. And to be honest with you, I was looking to, to move to London. Um, you know, I felt that that was probably where my future lay. Um, I was speaking to a few agencies, was through to kind of second, third interviews, that type of thing. Um, and then I was approached by a recruitment consultant um, who said, have you heard of this company called White Oaks? Uh, which I had because uh, I was working locally and um, White Oaks had quite a good profile uh, in the local business community. So I went along for an interview without too many expectations, um, but straight away got a good feeling for it. I met with um, one of the co-founders. Um, she talked passionately about the business. She talked about some of the clients. I was really surprised by the quality of the client base. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a punt. It uh, was kind of the, yeah. the mentality and but, see how it goes. And that, that was Jill Craig, was it? I, I, I yep. only met Jill once, but it was, uh, I remember the meeting well. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was back in the day when, when you could smoke in a meeting, so it was quite good fun. Um, yes. <laughs> but she was, she was a real character, right? 
Yeah, she was. And, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, I was, I was quite sold on her passion, her energy. Um, you know, you could see that she was someone that, that, that cared about the business and cared about the people in the business. Um, and I could see, you know, straight away that there was there's lots of opportunity for the, the business to grow, but also for the individuals within the business to grow. So, you know, right from day one, everywhere I looked, there seemed to be opportunity. And, and it was that that you thought, I don't know, locked you in in your in your head anyway potentially for for a long-term um thing here you, you you kind of like what you you liked what you saw did you ever get close to leaving uh no um <laughs> not really i mean i think what 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 jill did and and bill who was the other co-founder was that they they continued to create and present opportunity to me so before i ever got to the point where i thought about leaving there was a new opportunity um, ahead of me um, to progress, to grow, to develop, um, and you know ultimately to move into more senior positions um, and start running the business. Um, and then from that point, the opportunity then presented itself to to buy the business. Uh, and, yeah. You know that again presents another exciting opportunity. So it's never really been on the radar. You know, Whitex has offered more than enough in terms of opportunity, challenges, um, excitement. Um, and then when you run the business, you know, every day is different. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's never boring. You never sat around thinking I'm looking for a new challenge. There's, there's plenty of challenges and, and plenty of things to, to stimulate and excite you. I suppose that's one of the challenges, isn't it? As you found a business and then you, um, is, is what you do as you, as you potentially think about, um, moving on in your life, if you see what I mean. And, and I suppose what you, you and the, presumably the rest of the management team at White Oaks, um, represented to, to Jill and Bill was a, a potential a group of people to sell the business to in essence you know it's, it's, a, it's underrated that internal sale so to speak isn't it it seems to me within PR agencies it's, it's very often uh, a very good way to go yeah I mean there are a lot of advantages to it um, you know first and foremost the the people who are going to be owning and leading the business moving forwards are the people that know the business best um, you know there's a lot to be said there in terms of relationships both with the existing team and with clients um, but also you you're in control you know you can manage the process with the uh, the people that you're you're buying out you can manage the timeline um, you can do it in a way that that works for them and works for you um, and in both cases with both Bill and Jill that was the case it was very much about having mature conversations about where they were in life and what they were looking to achieve in the next few years. Um, the same for me and, and the rest of the management team. Um, and then you're able to do it in a very you know, amicable, mature, sensible way. And, you know, what it does is then give the business longevity um, and it gives it a, a pathway forward. Um, you can bring in new people, then new ideas, some fresh energy um, and take the business forward into the, into the next phase. It was quite interesting. We chatted about it before. It was it was a two stage sort of process, was it? I go on. Yeah. I can't quite. I won't try and remember. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Bill exited first um, at the beginning of two thousand and eight. Um, that was a very kind of structured and controlled process. Um, he had made us aware a year or two beforehand that that's what he wanted to do. So, you know, a long pathway there in terms of managing the transition um, from, you know, I, I took over a lot of the day-to-day -day responsibilities that, that Bill had had previously. So that was a, a nice controlled process. Um, Jill and I then uh, carried on as the two uh, major shareholders in the business to about 2000, 
13 um where you know had a similar conversation with jill um and you know she was ready to move on to the next phase i think in in her life um she had uh new grandchildren you know i think priorities changed a little bit um and i was very ambitious and keen to to take the business forward so again you know sensible mature conversations and, and able to to manage and control the process in a way that worked for everybody and and now how does it look you, you own a majority stake with 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 some other directors at White Oak, so it's it's quite a you know it's worked out well. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I was keen to do as part of the the management buyout was to set up an incentive scheme for some members of the senior team, um, which uh, gave them uh, some ownership of the business um, if they and the business achieve certain goals. Um, and we put in place that scheme, and you know pleased to say that the management team smashed their targets and uh, and uh, got the equity as a result so uh, today the business there are four uh, shareholders myself and the other three um, directors um, so I think that that sense of, of, of ownership is an important thing for everybody and, and I mean clearly there's well I suppose there are there are a few acquisitions going around now and you're, you're an independent firm you're out of London it's in that sense it it's very, I mean, in a sense, every business is always for sale. I'm not trying to push you on that, but it, what are your plans for it? Are you trying to, um, do you want to, it's always been a very solid tech business with, with some very good clients, isn't it? And, and, and 4 million is, as a fee income is, is you know, it's, it's always tempting to just, that, that's a lot of work to get to 4 million is, is what I'm supposed to try to say. It's, you know, there's a lot of clients um, and yep. a, a lot of pitches and all the rest of it. What, what, what do you want to do with it next, do you think? Um, you know, I think that you're right. It's a lot of work to to get to four million. It's a it's a lot of work to to stay at four million as well. Uh, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of you know ever being tempted to leave or do something different. I think when you run an agency, the the landscape is continually changing. So you know, this year, for example, right in the middle of of COVID, we've done a, a major restructure of the organisation to a more practice driven model rather than a, a team based model. Um, as part of that, we've created for the first time a creative department. Um, we now have practice heads across areas like uh, content uh, and digital and, and influencer relations. So, you know, that whole process um, has been a, a really big project. So, you know, it's continually changing. It's continually evolving. I think businesses and, 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 and the business world is kind of obsessed with growth. It's always talking about growth. Um, I, I think growth is important, but I think probably more important is the, the evolution of our business to make sure that we are a truly modern PR agency. You know, the type of services that we now need to be able to offer, um, the types of tools and techniques that we now need to be able to be able to deliver for clients has, has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And I, I'm sure will continue to change over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So yeah. you know, that's that continual evolution um, that keeps you on your toes, keeps it engaging, keeps it exciting. And I think if you kind of do the right things, the growth kind of happens anyway. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, growth, I've always thought, Businesses are a lot easier to manage if you've got growth. Do you know what I mean? Because you're in that sense, you've got you're, you're dealing with expanded, expanding numbers, hopefully. Um, but I guess uh, if you're if a business is run profitably, then it's a little bit more 
less, oh, sorry, a little bit less reliant on growth, isn't it? Because you, you, you've still got budget to do the things you may want to, if you, if, if you, if, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to be carefully managed. Uh, you're right. You know, it's certainly uh, more enjoyable managing growth than managing uh, <laughs> things going in the in the opposite direction. Um, but I think it does need to be carefully managed. You need to make sure that, you know, as you grow, that you maintain the important things, particularly in terms of, of culture, uh, particularly in terms of quality and standards. Um, and I think you can grow too quickly. So, you know, as we've gone through various growth phases over the years, we've been very careful to do that in a very controlled way. Well, well, um, do you put a percentage on it? As, as a so PR firm, if some... What, 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 what would you, you know I'm not, I'm not going to hold you to this, this you know this yeah. is that this is a moving thing but it, it's it is interesting thought that where we where was where is is sustainable growth in, in inverted commas and it's, you know this will be a different answer for different types of agencies so i'm not suggesting this is a uniform number yeah i mean you know typically we aim for low double digit growth is yeah. is kind of where we we tend to to be um you know like most businesses, every year we set a budget. We have financial targets that we're working to. Uh, we measure and report against that. Um, that that's always been the case, and I think that's that's just a good business discipline. Um, but yeah, you know, I I think for us, it's always been a case of thinking about having very managed and sustained growth rather than very yeah. quick and and dramatic growth, which brings a whole host of a whole host of problems with it. Okay. Um, I just, just before we go on, I'll move on from your story, so to speak, you were the MD at 29, is that right? Um, yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, when you're 29, it doesn't, probably doesn't feel that young. I'm trying to think back to when I was, uh, but, but did that bring a few, it is quite young to be an MD, isn't it? And I don't know what size White, White Oaks was at the time, but it, did that bring a few problems or, or actually was it okay? Uh, it was okay. I mean, you know, I think I've always been uh, lucky to happy fairly confident in myself and my own abilities. Uh, it very much matches to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the, the bill exit. So that was um, 2006, and that was then a kind of two-year uh, timeline to bill exiting in 2008. So it was a very controlled process. It wasn't, you know, it didn't just happen overnight. Um, you know, I'd moved up through the management team. I'd been a director for a couple of years before that as well. Um, so it felt like a, a natural progression. Um, the team here were great, uh, you know, very supportive. Uh, I, you know, I like to think that I, I had their trust and had their confidence. I think that's really important. Um, you know, and ultimately I think for, for clients, it's about how you perform, um, you know, in front of them, but also how the agency's performing. Are we achieving the results that they expect us to do? And are those results having a, a positive impact on their business? And I think they're not really worried about whether you're 29, 39 or 49. If those things are happening, you've got happy teams and happy clients. Sure, sure. Now, um, for those people listening who don't know, White Oaks is one of a, a fairly small um, number of PR firms that work on a payment by results basis. Um, which depending on who you talk to, people always go, that's a brilliant idea, or, or people always start, start sort of shivering at the, at the thought. Go on, just, just talk us through in broad terms how that works for, for you guys, because there's, there's various different models out there, but, but how, how do you do it? Yeah, sure. So I wouldn't, and we don't 
characterize it as, as payment by results, but I, I understand why you do. Uh, the way the model works is we, we basically don't do retainers. We don't believe that the retainer model is a good model for clients. Uh, we think it's a great model um, for agencies, but we don't think that it delivers particularly good results and, and value for clients. So instead, all of our campaigns are based on fixed fees and fixed deliverables. You know, we don't talk about timesheets or, or over delivery or any of those types of things. So, you know, that gives our clients complete certainty up front in terms of what they're investing and what we're delivering. Um, but what we know that clients are really interested in is, is results. So we're delivering all these campaigns, but are those campaigns actually achieving the results that they need to achieve? So against all of those campaigns, we agree performance targets, again, up front, uh, both qualitative and quantitative. Um, and then the final thing that we do is offer all of our clients a formal service level agreement. So we basically put our money where our mouth is. And we say, if we don't achieve those targets, we will give you money back. And we do that on a, on a pro rata basis. So, you know, that puts us on the line a little bit in terms of making sure we do the things we said we would. But I think more importantly, it creates a very performance driven culture between us and the client. Um, so, you know, on both sides, we all know what success looks like and we're all working jointly to hit those targets, achieve those results and deliver really strong return on investment for the client. What does that mean? Because I mean, different types of PR campaigns doing different things, aren't there? Some PR campaigns are focused on brand building. Some, some are more focused on, on performance marketing and, and clearly there's, you know, they're, they're not, those two things don't compete against each other. I'm not suggesting they do. Um, so, but you do both, right? So, you, so you just you you fix the KPI depending on on the objective. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously the the campaign is designed uh, within a strategic framework that's agreed with the client. Uh, one of the things that's agreed within that framework is, you know, what are the overall objectives that we're, we're looking to achieve, and therefore what results are going to positively contribute to those objectives. So they can be media, you know, they can be very traditional media driven metrics around the, the quality and the volume of the coverage, for example, which we've, you know, we've all been doing for years, but increasingly these days we're seeing clients wanting different types of metrics um, and particularly metrics that are more aligned with things like lead generation, um, particularly when we're delivering campaigns that, that have that, a uh, particular focus so the metrics match whatever the client's objectives are um, and therefore that makes them meaningful you know otherwise you've just got a, a bunch of metrics which are, are nice to make us all feel great about ourselves but you know are we actually achieving the things that are going to have a positive impact on that client's business and do um you know don't try to go back to my amec my amec framework document and, and <laughs> you know you clearly got yeah. outputs and outcomes and outtakes and all that sort of stuff do you the, the kpis are uh, uh, if the client wants it they're focused on outcomes presumably which um because uh, outputs obviously a lot easier to achieve than outcomes aren't they so to what extent do you do you drill down that road yeah i mean you know we we talk about inputs outputs and outcomes um so you know similar kind of terminology which i, I guess a, a lot of people are using um and progressively uh clients want you to focus and be able to measure those outcomes you know that's clearly a, a trend which i think a lot of people in the in the pr industry are are seeing um you know the answer to that question really is is, is twofold one is uh 
how much are clients willing to invest in proper measurement and evaluation tools in order for us to be able to do that. Um, and the second thing really is reliant on access, the access that the client will give us to uh, their own data in order to be able to create those links between our outputs and the business outcomes. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, if you've got a collaborative mindset with a client um, and you work together on that type of stuff, those are all things that can be achieved. Um, and it's a continual kind of, again, work in progress for us. We're continually looking at our measurement and evaluation methodologies and making sure that they are current and, and relevant and meaningful. Sure. I, I, I can see both sides of that where I was chatting to, we had a, a planning event last week. Um, we started talking about the customer customer data side of it and um, one, of the, one of the guys said um, access to customer data is great, but obviously it only give, it's only data where you've been successful in your communications, if you see what I mean. It doesn't, it, so it's only, it's, only um, it's quite a specific group, which I thought was an interesting part of it. But, but yeah, you're right. If you, to, to measure that, start, that part of that side of, um, of the performance side of, of the marketing um, brief, I guess you've got to be able to, or it's very useful anyway, to have that access to that customer data. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, how, but how often do they? That's quite rare, isn't it? I mean, not not just White Oaks clients, but but across the industry, that's that's quite a rare thing to have, isn't it? Um, I mean, you know, we're we're seeing it happen more and more because clients are demanding that the metrics are more uh, outcome focused. So, you know, you can only do that if you've got access to the right types of data um so yeah i mean i think it's, it's a bit of a mind shift for everybody um i think that you know pr as an industry as a discipline we need to be a bit you know i've always had this kind of beef with 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 pr mentality sometimes which is you know we want to be seen as more strategic we want to have a place at the boardroom table but we don't want to be measurable or accountable well you know life don't work like that <laughs> you know if we want those things we've got to kind of put our foot forward and say right we are prepared to demonstrate ROI we are demonstrate we are prepared to be accountable for what we do and we are prepared to be measured and I think those are, are really important things if we want to be taken seriously so how often do you does a, do, do you not hit them and you have to give a bit of money back yeah it's happened I would say a, a handful of times um, it can happen for various reasons uh, you know sometimes the the KPIs are just a bit too aggressive and we can't quite get there. Um, sometimes there are deliverables uh, on the other side that um, we expected to have in terms of, of content or data from the client that, that, that doesn't then come through. Um, but, you know, the whole point of the system isn't to reach the end of a campaign and say, oh, sorry, we haven't hit target and here's some feedback. The whole point of the system is to remain laser focused on those targets throughout the campaign. So it's a constant dialogue with a client for us to be able to see what is working, what isn't working, whether they particular tactics are delivering the types of results that we expect and to modify it during the campaign. So it's not a surprise when you get to the end, you've actually been monitoring it throughout and making changes and evolving and adapting as you go through. One of the things we talked about before um, was the upside on that. Cause I, uh, when I've talked about this in the past, it always seemed logical and fair that actually the agency exceeds its KPIs. There's, there's not just a penalty. There's also a, a bonus, but you, you had a, a point on why that you tried that, but it hadn't quite worked. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we initially launched the uh, the system, that was in there um, that we would be get we would uh, receive a bonus if we exceeded target. Um, the problem that that clients told us was that that created a, a practical issue for them, in that they had to withhold budget in case we exceeded target and in case they had to pay us a bonus and they would much rather spend that budget or invest that budget with us to deliver things that are going to deliver value for the business. So uh, we very quickly scrapped that part of the model. Um, The bonus for us really is that if we achieve or exceed target, we're going to have a happy client. Um, If we're going to have a happy client, they're likely to want to continue the relationship. And actually for a lot of them, they're, they're likely to want to invest more because they've seen the success that they've had and they felt the, uh, the ROI. So, you know, that's really the, the bonus for us. Do you think that model you've got on, on, um, I know you don't call it payment by results, but, but, um, has it changed the type of people you recruit or, or the type of people that are successful at White Oaks, do you think? Yes. Um, I think that, you know, we have very high expectations of our people. Um, accountability is a, is a massive, uh, uh, value for us. Um, and that translates into behaviors. So, you know, because we can see exactly what we need to deliver for every client and the results we need to achieve for every client, we can do that at a team level and also at an individual level. So, you know, everybody here has targets that they're working to. Um, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, the plus side of that is if you're good and you are delivering and uh, you're exceeding target, that is is very clear for everybody to see and you will be rewarded and there will be lots of opportunities here. Um, the flip side is if you're not delivering uh, <laughs> and it's a, a kind of persistent and consistent issue, then you're not going to develop and progress here. So, you know, we are looking for people that thrive in that type of environment, that are happy to be accountable, that are happy for there to, for there to be a high degree of transparency about what they, or around what they do and what they're achieving. So very performance focused, performance driven people are, are a, a big part of our culture here. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm pretty sure a whole career has been built around hiding within a hundred person at PR agency, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that's, that's, well, you, you said that, not me. <laughs> um that's it you're based in hook right um which is i don't know how many pr agencies there are in hook but it's it's an interesting part of the world isn't it because it's you've got that sort of bracknell reading basingstoke what did you call it the thames valley valley corridor which for people that are not aware of it is it is a bit of a hub a tech hub isn't it it's one of those things i've always sort of scratched my head a little bit how did that happen i mean it definitely is the case but but um, there are a lot of tech firms, sizable tech firms, that have offices in, in that area. And is that just one of those things that no one quite knows why that happened or, or, or is there a good reason for it? Um, well, you know, I think if you if you trace it back, um, probably a lot of it is driven by the fact that some really big IT companies decided to base themselves to the west of London. Um, you know, access to transport hubs, uh, ability to get in and, te- in and out of town pretty quickly and easily um you know so i think that creates an ecosystem uh, around it so you know the likes of microsoft and oracle being based over in in reading for example you know a lot of tech companies are, are in that ecosystem um and i think proximity is important for them um i think that where we are gives a lot of people a great work-life balance as well um so you know opportunity to work in dynamic agencies or in-house or whatever, but, but still, uh, you know, have the benefit of living in a, in a 
fairly rural location, but also very easy to get in and out of town. So, um, you know, we, you call it the Thames Valley Corridor. Some people call it a, a tech triangle. Um, but, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of technology companies in this area. And I guess there's probably a practical element to it as well that, you know, for a lot of um, companies, real estate is slightly cheaper here than it would be in the in the centre of London. So I think a lot of tech companies have, have taken that into account as well, but still have the benefit of the proximity and the travel hubs. Maybe, maybe not for much longer, I guess. Who knows on the, on the real estate prices, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, how that's going to change moving forwards. I mean, we, we spoke before about, you know, the, the kind of difference between it being a London or a non-London agency and, you know, how important that may or may not be moving forwards. I think that you know, clearly working practices and, and, and models are going to change over the next few years. You mentioned it there and, I just wonder, do you think White Oaks would have been a bigger agency if you've, you've had an office in London, not necessarily based in London? Um, I've never quite worked out why it is, but agencies do seem to scale quicker if they have a London office. Uh, maybe it's access to clients, access to talent, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we, we have actually had offices in London um, via acquisitions um, right. over the years uh, on, a, on a couple of occasions. Um, and, you know, at the time we felt that it would be strategically important. We felt that that clients would um, would value it. Um, in reality, they didn't. Um, <laughs> and then you had the problems of, of trying to kind of manage people uh, remotely um, without the the types of technology that we that we have today. Um, so you know, would we have been a bigger agency with London? I don't know because it would have been a you know it would have been one of those sliding door moments. We would have been a very different. I'm sure there would have been very different people within the agency um, and we would have taken a very different, different path. So I don't know. We, we've gone one way. We could have gone another, but yeah, um, interesting thought, isn't it? You'd have, you'd have had, you know, culturally it would have been, it would have been a, been a challenge anyway. You might've, you might've managed it, but you, you, yeah, you might've had a smaller hub or maybe it would have impacted on the, on the number of people you have at, in, at your hook offices. So yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, just having a lot of your clients based around where you guys are or is it that's always the sort of theory with these things but sometimes it yeah. doesn't quite work out yeah i mean a fair number are okay. um we have uh but you know we also have clients based all over the world um that use us as their international agency um so a lot of us based clients for example um where you know they don't have feet on the ground here um, and we work with them, in, in, you know, purely in that in that way. Um, so yes, we do have technology technology companies based around the Thames Valley area, London agents, uh, London clients all across the UK and international as well. We, I would say, probably about fifty percent of our work is international, so representing clients in more than one territory. Uh, and we have our own network uh, of, of partners to do that. So, you know, particularly for US companies, that's a, a really valuable um, capability to be able to have. Uh, what, what, and that is, it's, it's one of these networks of, of like-minded independent, is, it? is that how you, you sort of have done it? Yeah, so uh, we call it the WIN PR group, the White Hats International Network um, PR group. Uh, like-minded agencies, all owner-managed, um, usually tech specialists, certainly in kind of in the major um, territories. And uh, the way the model works is, you know, they, they can kind of operate how they like locally. 
Um, but when they work on a White Oats International Network client, they adopt our systems and processes. So they plan, uh, report, budget in the same way. And they also have to adopt the model that we were talking about earlier with the, the focus on performance targets. How long have you had that then? Has that been, have you had that for a while? Yeah, I think formally it was established in 1999, I believe, wow. late 90s. Okay. So wow. yeah, it's been around for a while. And it was really built on the back of client uh, requirements where you know we were working with clients here in the UK and they said to us, it'd be great if we could work with you in France or Germany or Italy or Spain. So you know, we've, we've, we started to create a network on the back of that. It's interesting. I was funny enough. I was having a conversation yesterday on on that very topic of you know the comparison of um, having a, a a one a one agency that works across numerous territories versus taking a, that that independent model. Um, and clearly, you're going to think that the independent model works, much better, <laughs> but, but it is it has it's always been a debate, isn't it? And it seems to be a debate that. It's a bit more of a debate now than it than it than it was a few years back. It seems to me that, that there's more. There seems to be a bit more momentum on that um, managing uh, international PR campaigns across independent networks. Yeah, I mean, we we talk a lot about this idea of there being a better way. So you know, everything that we do in terms of you know the overall model that we've talked about, the the way that we structure our teams, right through to how we manage international. That that type of stuff hasn't evolved by accident. We've modelled it and created it because we believe that the way that we do it is a is a better way of doing it, um, and the same applies to international. So you know, I think that the problem with the you know the, the kind of big multinational model is you're only as good as your your weakest uh, office, um, and you might be tied into a, a big contract with a multinational, and five or six of the the territories are working really well, but five or six of them aren't, and but you're kind of stuck with it. So you know, the idea with our model is that you get the combination of you know, local best of breed agencies. Um, all of them are accountable. Uh, we also retain the right to change them if they're not performing. Um, so they know that you know they're they're kind of they've got skin in the game as it were and there's no kind of protection or hiding um but then we combine that with that one look feel experience all managed centrally by us so we try and give the benefit of the multinational model and blend it with the benefit of the local best of breed model in order to create a hybrid that we think gives a a better solution to clients right Uh, and finally just bringing us uh, no no, uh, no interviews um um right these days without a bit of a covid chat at the end of it all where um i'm imagining as a as a tech um pr firm uh, you know the, the pandemic's been tough for us all but you guys have had a, a reasonable stint during it um yeah i mean you know i think certainly in terms of some industries and some sectors um that that would be true um but you know it would also be true to say that it's been a very challenging period um particularly for for our people, you know, a lot of uh, uncertainty, a lot of change. Um, They've all been fantastic in terms of how they've managed and adapt to that. Um, Like everyone else, we've gone through a a period of of home working and remote working. Uh, We're now operating a system with with what we call two bubbles, um, where people are alternating between home working and office working. Um, But, you know, overall, you're probably after a number, uh, you know, I think, this year we'll see revenues down by anywhere between 15 to 20 percent i think is a is a reasonable estimate based on actuals and and forecasts for the remainder of the year so it's not insignificant um but 
you know, we've always been a very well-run business. We've always been very profitable. Uh, we've always made sure that we've got cash in the bank. We've never borrowed uh, significantly and certainly never beyond our means. So, you know, the, the financial robustness and stability of the business is, is really important. And it, it, it's put us in a strong position to, to get through this current period and also moving forwards. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of business owners who I suspected wish they'd put a little bit more aside um, in the in the in the previously, which didn't seem necessarily that that good at times before, but certainly proves that everything's relative. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we we kind of all got over Brexit, right? And we were thinking 2020, this is it. <laughs> Here we go. You know, it's, it's lift off. Everything's going to be great again. And then of of course, um, COVID popped its head up. So, yeah, it's kind of expect the unexpected, I guess. Yeah, and 2021 doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be a box of chocolates anyway, does it? Either, does it? But, um, no, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that are here to stay. Um, and I think any recovery is going to be a, a long recovery. And I think there's going to be a few unexpected bumps along the road as well. Just intrigued on the, on the last point, you mentioned a, a double bubble, which is kind of, I kind of like that term. How does that work? So you basically, you've split the business in two and, and you all come into the office at, at I don't know, for, for two days or three days depending on on how life works yeah kind of um so it, it's really a business continuity thing to be honest with you so the idea is that if if there's an issue with one bubble in terms of a, a suspected or confirmed case that the the other bubble can still be completely operational um so yeah the business literally split in half um and one bubble was in the office one week and then the other bubble is in the office the other week. Um, and that was driven by the staff. We asked the staff their preference and they said, rather than coming in two or three days a week and swapping around, they would rather have solid weeks in and out so that they can plan around that. Um, a lot of them have equipment that they take home, for example, monitors and things like that. So having to bring those in every other day is, is a bit of a pain, whereas having dedicated weeks, I think is a bit more practical for them. Right. And uh, I suspect that will continue for a little while, certainly till Christmas, I guess. But, um... Yeah, our current expectation is that, yeah, at least till Christmas. And that's what we, we, we're saying to the team. Um, and again, that enables people, you know, I think in times of uncertainty, the more certainty you can give uh, the team, the better. So we're trying to do that as much as possible within the context of there being a lot of moving parts and, and things that we don't know yet. James Kelly, Chief Exec at White Oaks International. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.